I bought a donut and they gave me a receipt for the donut. I don't need a receipt for the donut, man. I'll just give you the money, then you give me the donut and the transaction. We don't need to bring ink and paper into this. I just can't imagine a scenario where I would have to prove that I bought a donut. Hey everybody, that was the voice of the, the late, great Mitch Hedberg, one of my favorite comedians of all time. I think one of the best to ever do it. It is uh, from his album, Strategic Grill Locations. Um, I was friends with Mitch. We are lucky enough to have on today, uh, I think the premier Mitch Hedberg expert in the world, um, uh, Lynn Shawcroft, who's a comedian herself and, and was married to Mitch. And as a friend of mine, I was friends with Mitch. I was friends, I've been friends with Lynn for a long time. We have a great conversation. I mean, it basically came out of this thing where I was listening to that album this summer. And I thought, man, this podcast is all about joke construction. And that's the best joke construction I've ever encountered. Maybe I should ask Lynn if we could just talk about that album and how Mitch came up with jokes. And so uh, she was really into it. And, uh, and so that's how we ended up with this episode uh, today. Um, we're actually just announcing a few new shows. Um, we added a second show in Washington, D.C. at the Warner Theater, which is where uh, one of the places I opened for Mitch Hedberg was at the Warner Theater. I opened for him, Louis Black, and David Tell in the early 2000s. It was a, a dream. Um, we just added a third show in London, um, I'm doing five weeks in Los Angeles at the Taper Theater. I'm doing five weeks in Chicago at the Steppenwolf Theater. Uh, all of this is on burbigs.com. Sign up for the mailing list and enjoy my conversation with the great Lynn Shawcroft. So you and I met almost 20 years ago, which is amazing. I know. Uh, at Joker's Comedy Club in Dayton, Ohio. I'm going to put this out there. Time flies. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, yeah. The idea that yeah. that's 18 years ago is outrageous. Um, there was a point where 18 years wasn't even our life. Like, we hadn't even got there. Yeah. Okay. No, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> certainly that's true. Um, so I picked you up because I was the I was the one of the opening acts for Mitch Hedberg, who was your husband, you were one of the opening acts. The three of us were the yes. were the bill. The three of us we were, were the, the bill, bill yeah. on the 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 Dayton Jokers Comedy Club. Yes, uh, uh, yes, in Dayton, uh, Ohio. Yeah, in Dayton, Ohio, that week. Yeah, and yeah, um, it's when I met you. We became friends and close friends, and like I, it was a big deal for me because uh, I was oh, I was a fan of. Mitch's work since like the '90s when I started learning about comedy. Like, really? Yeah. So, like, my sister Gina. Like how did you know of him? Probably Letterman's or Letterman and Word of uh, mouth Letterman or... and Comedy Central presents, which was gotcha. Uh, what was that? 1998. That that was 1999. 99 yeah. and like, mm -hmm. which is which is also I think the same year of Strategic Grilling Locations, which is the album that we're talking about today. Yeah, Strategic. We recorded. Probably 98 for 99, right? Yeah. Yeah, 99. Yeah. Maybe I'm getting Comedy Central mixed up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so like my sister Gina, when I was in college, mm -hmm. this is the late 90s, would send me comedy specials. So she would send me like, this is the Margaret Cho special. This is the Sarah Silverman special. This is the Mitch Hedberg special. These are the cool comedy specials. She has great taste in comedy. And she worked in comedy at the time and like, and she sent me Mitch's, and I watched it like it was VHS cassettes, and I watched it like on a loop. Wow. Like I watched it over and over again, like like literally like broke, the, broke the, the ribbon. The edited, on, yeah, yeah, broke the ribbon on the VHS. Oh my god! And uh, yeah, and so like, and so then when I when I met you in Dayton, I <laughs> because this is a classic thing, at least from way back when, is like the opening act would like pick up the headliner in. His, yes. his or her crappy car Some at places the hotel. used to also have the opener drive, pick up at the airport. It was, there was all shady dealings going on. So, <laughs> <laughs> so like, it's funny because Jim Gaffigan and I were talking on this podcast like a few months ago about how 
because comedy in recent years has become so popular, it's become pop culture, it's become mainstream yes. pop culture, a lot of times people don't realize that people like Mitch Hedberg and Jim Gaffigan and 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 me to a lesser extent, like came up in a time when like comedy clubs were, first of all, not a viable profession choice. No, no, no. <laughs> like yeah. at all, like at no. all. Like no. the people who chose to do comedy in the 90s were like a little bit nuts. It, I've always described people, I don't know, some, back then, in order to get to a next level and then a next level, it has to be an it has to be a pure obsession. Yeah. Just yeah. a pure obsession. That's it. That's all that matters. You'll drive six hours to do five minutes. A hundred percent. That kind of thing. Yeah, no. Not saying people don't do that now, but that was the requirement. Well, it's funny, you it's to. funny you should say obsession because that's what um Malcolm Gladwell was on the podcast too, and we were talking about the nature of genius. And he doesn't like yeah. he doesn't like the word genius, which of course right. gets attributed to Mitch, your your late husband, all the time. Mm. But he doesn't like the word genius in general because he likes to think of genius. The closest approximation is par- I, I'm going to paraphrase him, uh, but it's obsession with yes. a single topic and obsession. The obs- and Mitch. Mitch, when he started, he did it once. He knew right away he was going to do it, and that was it. Blinders on, whatever it took. Yeah. And obsessed. That's fascinating. Obsessed. He bombed for six years solid. Oh, my God. He would go to a club, and the way he looked at a club, every club in the country, no matter how he got there, was a place, like, I'm going to go burn that club because I won't get invited back. Oh, my God, No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No he way. He looked at the club as, I will work, I will get that time, and they won't have me back. Because he, he knew he would bomb. I couldn't even handle bombing in Dayton. <laughs> we all bombed in Dayton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we yeah. All, yeah, we all bombed a little bit in Dayton. Well, it was hit or miss, actually, I should say. Like, I think, yeah. that, I think that it was the weekend shows were pretty hot and, like, And like Mitch, it was right around the moment in the early 2000s where Mitch was starting to go from being a comedian who had done some television spots to someone who people would drive five or six hours to see see him because what he was doing was so special. Well, um, I mean, prior to him doing Letterman's and his Comedy Central special, he would go to North Dakota three times a year. He had certain yeah. clubs that ended up liking, so he'd go there yeah. and he'd spend weeks there and do things. But in 1999, when his special came out, we first started to, that's when around the time I met him, and we were going on the road together, and I'd be like, and only two clubs were headlining him at that point. Yeah. So I remember going and going, oh, my God, I think there was a table that knew who you were. Oh, wow. Like that. And he's like, really? And then by the end of that year, everybody in the audience knew who he was. It was a whole different – it was a switch. Like within like a year or 18 months, it was like, those people – oh, yeah. And then that was it. Like people would call for Mitch. Wow. Whereas people also – I don't know if they do that much now, but back in the day when – I'm sure you must have discussed this. When people went to a comedy club – they would just go, I'm going to comedy, and yes. whatever it was was there. Uh, yes. Yeah. As a general concept, yeah. And I remember years concept, after Mitch yeah. having an audience, he had this one – we did this one show in um, in the Miami Improv or something. Like, it was a convention, and they didn't know who Mitch was, and he's like, I don't want to convince anybody oh anymore. <laughs> you oh know what God. I mean? Oh, my God. Yeah. I convinced – I've done my convincing. That's amazing. Yeah. So we met in Dayton – and then Joker's was a trip. Yeah, it was great, but it was yeah, it, it was, was a, a trip. trip. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. like there was like you know there was like bachelorette party like trinkets and stuff in the lobby that they'd sell. Yeah, that, sex toys. Yeah, there were sex toys. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> literally, <laughs> it was. And I think part of my job was to get someone from the audience to do no. like a crazy shooter. Oh but my I God. loved you were, Lisa yeah, who you, owned it. Because you were host. Yeah, because you were the yes, host. Like, it was you had awful. to get it was someone to like yeah. do shots. And there was a blow up dildo thing. Yes. Or, or a blow up penis. Yeah. But the but the oh my person who ran it, Lisa, was amazing. Remember? Yes, Lisa was great. Lisa Grisby. Lisa's yeah. great. I mean, yeah. she loved comedy. She had great taste in comedy. She yeah. like she ran a great 
she ran a great room, but like she also was aware that like the audience in Dayton, Ohio at that time yeah. was very focused on like bachelorette parties, seeing someone who's filling been on television, room, yeah. filling yeah, filling the room with whoever you can where fill the room with. Where were you at that point? Like where would you have been at this point when you came and picked us up? Where were you as far as comedy goes? So I was at a point where I was driving around the country in my mom's station wagon, which I, I had essentially borrowed. I mean, I paid for, but like I didn't give her past the first payment. So it's like, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> and you've been paying it off ever since. Yeah, exactly. Um, I couldn't afford the payments. Like I, and, and so I was driving around the country, and I would literally, and this is what happened in Dayton, I would drive to a club. It was Greg Warren who was friends with Lisa in that club, and Greg, and Greg was like, you know, I could put you in touch with, he was someone I'd met on the road, and he's a great comic, and he was like, I can put you in touch with Dayton Joker's Comedy Club, and and I talked to Lisa and she basically said like, well, why don't you come by the club and just do a set and then I'll know what you are what you do. And that, So you would have driven from New York I, I, to, yeah. oh, so for I, the set? So basically, you were in obsession I, phase. Yeah, so I basically drove yeah. like a, like essentially 11 hours to do one an unpaid five-minute set yeah. um, in front of the amazing Jonathan, who is a magician, comedian fellow. And, yeah. uh, and then I got there. This is this is before I opened for you and Mitch. I got there, and uh, amazing Jonathan said, uh, "I will not be having openers on my show." And so, eleven hours. Instead, Lisa had me do the lighting and sound for Amazing Jonathan, and um, I've never done I've never done lighting and sound. I had no idea what I was doing. The bit of Amazing Jonathan is he yells at the lighting and sound person. And so I drove 11 hours, Dayton, Ohio, for an unpaid set to audition. I didn't audition. I did, I did lights and sound. I didn't perform comedy. I was yelled at for an hour. And what is the, it about you that will say yes to do things that you don't know how? I think you told me about, like, you, when you had 10, 50 minutes of material, you're like, I can do half an hour. <laughs> I mean, how do you – I wish I had an ounce of what you have as far as that. I'm like, I don't know. But good, it's but, awesome. But so I you're think, getting abused. Yeah, so, so I'm getting abused, and then and then at Lisa actually, the owner of the club, felt bad, and then she was like, "You like, basically like, I trust that you're funny. I believe yeah. you. Just do. We'll put you down for a week." She showed me the calendar of who was coming up, and I was like, "Mitch Hedberg, like, could I do that?" And she was like, "Sure." And I, I mean, I put it in my calendar, and I I had blue highlighter on it, and I had stars around it, and it was like. Literally like a dream come true. Like there's certain things I feel like in comedy or show business or art of any kind where the thing that you think would be the apex of one's journey actually isn't. It's another thing that you wouldn't yeah. expect. So like like meeting you and Mitch and opening those shows that week was as big a deal as doing Letterman or doing my own Netflix special or, or bigger or Ooh. bigger. Well, that's, I think, with art and performance, when the whole have you made it, the first thing you might make is when you get on an open mic. The second thing might be when you get on again. This first might think sure. when you paid MC. So it's all these things. I remember we were in Seattle. Mitch was being interviewed in between shows. And the, and the guy was like, you're the Mitch Hedberg. You're the big guy. And Mitch is like... <laughs> I just feel like I'm working. What's it like to a man? He's like, I'm working. Yeah, you know, Mitch, yeah, yeah. I mean, Mitch never viewed it that way. He's like, I'd have to be in almost a swimming pill ch- with champagne, which yeah, isn't yeah. going to happen, to really be like, it's not like that. It's just different levels, yeah. One of the reasons why I find him so interesting, because I feel like you and I knew this at the time, and of course, you're not just Mitch's wife. You're a great comedian. You're You collaborated with Mitch on so many jokes, and like, you... He You're, wrote all his own stuff. I know I he didn't. wrote all his yeah. own stuff, but like I was with you, the two of you, and like I would see how things would become and the way in which you would conversate about premises and ideas and how, how a joke would go on a given show. You were really like, if you weren't a co-writer, you were a producer. You were I wasn't a co-writer at all, but... He, um, and we can go back to his writing a little bit. Put a, sure. Put a pin of in course. That. Yeah. I've never said that. Put a pin in that, please. 
Um, <laughs> the one thing I knew about Mitch is, so when Mitch went on stage and he closed his eyes, yeah, um, it was it was about the fact that when you're on stage, you're gonna you're as a comedian, you look in the audience. For him, he'd go to the person that had a, a negative face. Sure. I do too. Which was all about kind of this positive energy. So he closed his eyes. So he basically he'd hear the audience. It became like a, you know, on a um, when you see the like things on a mic on a uh, microphone audio thing. Yeah, like a waveform. Yeah. And all his jokes would go like this, and he'd never do anything in the same order ever. And when I was backstage, I would close my eyes and think that too. And we both had this thing where oh, that joke only has a certain maximum level. Laughter potential. Yeah, like there are certain jokes that because also a comedy show is isn't build build build. It's build break build yeah. break. That's how he saw it. It was yeah. almost like he was in an energy exchange with the audience. It was like vibrational comedy or whatever. Yeah. So I would listen to that too, and then I'd be like, Oh my god, um, uh, rabbits got you drunk. Got a bit heavier, higher on the scale. So like that sort yeah. of thing. So I understood all that, and I understood him intuitively. But yeah, he wrote his own stuff. If carrots got you drunk, rabbits would be fucked up. Because sometimes if you put it at an end of thing, it could tail off a laugh. Yes. Or if he somehow intuitively moved it before, or if, who knows whether it'd be pause, joke, pause. Yeah. Does that make all sense? It's like no, an no, energy. No, no, it's very music. It's like very comedy musical. is an energy. You're like, how are you making a, how are your words going into a human being's body and they laugh? Like it's, it's energy, vibration, right? Yeah, and I think and technically like, well, what's going on, and, and and I think specifically with his stuff because it was so not referential. It wasn't about pop yeah. culture. It wasn't about television shows. It wasn't. It was a. It was about purposely. Sort of, yeah, purposely. It was about human mm-hmm. experiences, interactions, observations. Uh, that that really, I mean, and I think this is part of his legacy and why, like, twenty years later, we're talking about Mitch. Yes, is like he he saw that though. He kind of understood that in the beginning when he started, and he did longer jokes and he talked about drugs more and talked about girls. But he was like, you know, if I, he he was an obsession, wanted to be good. Yeah. He knew that if he was going to go into those areas, he had to be the best. Yeah. And a lot of people covered that. So he really kind of thought it out. And then doing something that dates you so much is, which is fine, because but he used products and stuff, is he kind of understood that those will lock you into a time. Sure. And I've noticed um, as years go by with his jokes, I can look at his joke and almost like you can unpack them and reference them to something now. Yes. Somehow. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that. Like, I wish I could be a race car passenger. Yeah. You know, and I'd be like, you sure, <laughs> like, um, you sure do like Just the tied. guy who bugs the driver. Yeah, yeah, yeah just the guy exactly. who bugs the driver. So the race car passenger part works without the tide even. Race That's car right. passenger, just the guy who bugs the driver. Hey, man, can you slow down? Yeah. We need to take a right. All those sort of things. Or even the escalator joke. An escalator can never break. I see people on Twitter all the time going, oh, a toothbrush can never break. Electric toothbrush can never break. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. An escalator can never be broken. It can only become stairs. Am I talking too much? No, no. If anything. It's so good to see you. I can't tell you. I feel warm inside. Oh, me too. It's so fun to talk. It's We could literally digress like for four hours. I know if we were having a coffee, it would be like, okay, but what about, remember when we were in this <laughs> yes. club? And there, remember there was that place that was this and the stairs were called the Widowmaker because they were so steep. And <laughs> there's a million things. Working It Out is brought to you in part by Helix Mattresses. <laughs> That's like my real radio voice right there. Brought to you by, by Helix Mattresses. The truth is, I'm going to take away my radio voice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to discard my radio voice. I'm going to go, look, uh, I love Helix Mattresses. I'm going to tell you, the, I'm going to give you the short sell. Shows up in a box. You take it out. It opens up, you know, like poof. It's much bigger than the box when you take it out. Uh, it's easy. It's easy to open and put in your apartment. And then it's super, super duper comfortable, uh, which is not in the ad copy. Super duper comfortable. Uh, just go to helixsleep.com slash bigs. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. They'll match you to a customized mattress. It'll give you the best sleep of your life. Take the quiz. Easiest, oh, easiest quiz. You'll ace the quiz. I'm telling you, you'll do, you'll, you're going to do so well in this quiz. 
Helix is uh, offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for the working out listeners. This is the podcast that keeps on giving. Go to helixsleep.com slash Burbigs. Working it out is brought to you in part by Bombas. Bombas, I love, you know that. Uh, their mission is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever. Match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you're also giving to someone in need. That's how I got interested in this company a couple of years ago. It was just listening to the radio, to podcasts. I found out that for every pair of socks that they, they sell, they donate to someone in need. And I thought, that is a phenomenal business model. I got their socks. Now they're the only socks I wear. Uh, I love them. Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and the perfect weight so they hang just right. Bombas underwear has a barely there feel with a second skin support that might make you forget they're even there. But in a good way. You can try them too. Go to bombas.com slash for bigs and you can get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash for bigs for 20% off. Bombas.com slash for bigs. When every comedian first starts, someone who's been around a little bit will be like, it'll be 10 years before you're funny. Yeah. And every comedian goes, not me. Not me. I'll be on. Not me. I'll be on. Yep. Letterman or Colbert tomorrow. And it takes about 10 years to read. <sighs> it doesn't take you to be funny, but really, really to get it. Because comedy is like yoga. You don't finish. Yes. You don't win. <laughs> you don't win. Like, you don't be like, I won yoga or something. God. I remember Karen Kilgariff <laughs> once said to me, I won yoga today. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, Isn't that funny? Yeah. But that's like comedy. Like, it don't. It's a never-ending thing. But to get, like, how long, many years did it take you to just be kind of like where you're not churning? Like when you wake up and it's not a cloud of craziness I mean, I think, I think like, I think truly like seven to ten years because like that was, I started when I was 19 and when I was, when I was 30, I did Sleepwalk With Me. And it was the first time where the, it was a cohesive show, which is kind of like of the shows that I do now. Yeah, and you were in control a bit of the audience. Yeah. Stuff and yeah, yeah. But, it, but it's crazy because, like, here's, here's the great, you know, if people are listening to this and they, and they don't know Mitch's work or they do know Mitch's work, like, this is for, this is for all of you. And, it, like, if you, ha- if you don't know his work, listen to all the albums. You know, they're, they're some of the great comedy albums. And, they, and what's fascinating, I find, is, like, I'll talk to a range of people who love Mitch and still listen to Mitch. I'll talk, you know, Jimmy Fallon will just quote a joke, you know, that- Jimmy Fallon? Yeah. That, that, he, one time, I put out a box set in 2016 mm-hmm. of Mitch's albums. Yeah. Did I send you, you wrote something. Yeah, I, I have it, I yeah. I must have got one. I have it, yeah. And, it's, in my, it's in my living room, yeah. And um, Jimmy Fallon one time had Tom Cruise on and he gave it to him. Oh my like God, really? Just, like, yeah, he's like, I've got something you'd really like, and he gave it to Tom Cruise. Yeah, no, he's no Jimmy's a Jimmy's obsessed with Mitch's work. Means no comedy, period. Yeah, like once you've been in it, like you, yeah, there's a lot of it's small things. But yeah. then, like, what's uh. funny is, is like I've also been around like people who you wouldn't expect, just people who work in banking or advertising oh, or yes. any, and 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 it's. You know, these are albums from twenty something years ago, and they're quoting them like clockwork. I know, and, and it's not one of those things where, listen, comedy in a nostalgia way will always get us. Like we'll always laugh at Eddie Murphy. We'll always laugh at these things we saw along the way. But the fact that someone can get new people to listen is mind boggling. Is is amazing. It's a testament to his thing, yeah. 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 And it's like, so the thing that I feel like people often get wrong about Mitch is that they, and, and actually he said this to me at one point, he 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 said to me like, because over the, the the fuller story is that like I ended up opening uh, opening for him well, a handful, yeah, 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 a handful of times. Like you were just a scrappy, cute little kid. <laughs> you look exactly the same. You're exactly the same. <laughs> I was scrappy. I was scrappy. 
That's, I don't know if no scrappy is the right word, but you were in it. So there was a first, and this is a little bit of comedy history, and this is, this is, I think, how it should be written up when they talk about this comedy boom. In the early 2000s, there was a Comedy Central live theater tour starring Louis Black, Mitch Hedberg, Dave Attell. And oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's a few years later down the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it was kind of one of the first times. I mean, there was Kings of Comedy. There was Blue Collar Comedy Tour. But, like, it was one of the first times where there was- Kings a, of Comedy a th- was so good. Yeah, there was a theater, but there was a theater comedy yes. tour. And it was like, yes. this is mainstream. We're in theaters. We're at the Warner Theater in D.C. You know, we're at the Tower in Philadelphia. We're doing a full theater we're tour. We're doing the Beacon. About a year prior, Mitch always wanted to do theaters, though. Yeah. He had visions. He wanted his own tour bus. <laughs> and this is how he fulfilled us. He wanted his own tour bus, and because he didn't get it already, we got our own motor home. Mitch did his own thing. Yeah. He was. He wanted an HBO special, and the year he got booked, they weren't doing them. This is Rian. So we filmed our own specials on 16 millimeters. Oh like, God. Mitch didn't. Unbelievable. I remember when he's like, is matter, even if, like, Hollywood never call like calls us again. We can put up our own show. Yeah. He would have done it. But so about a year and a half prior, he decided he wanted to do theater. So we did some theaters in Austin and lost a ton of money. Oh my God, really? But because the theaters are you have to fill it up to like six seventy percent sure. and then it's pure profit. Sure. So anything under you lose. So we lost. It's but expensive he, to rent he theaters. He wanted to do that. It's yeah. expensive to rent yeah. theaters. Yeah. 100% and pay people. There's unions. Yeah. So we might break even or just do it, but he did it. He did it. And he, wow. and he didn't make it to the making money, but we would do our own things. Another thing he did is when back then, when you went on tour, what did it rely on? The comedians going to morning radio, yep. doing call in radios, and also um, an ad in the newspaper. Mitch would take out his own ads. No way. He would take our own pictures no and he would send things in. No yes. way. Yeah, I have some. I'll he would send take them. out I his own one. ads. He would take out his own, like, coming to Acme, and he'd, like, put Lynn, and then he'd, like, <laughs> put his friend's name on, and it'd be like Mitch, and we'd make our own thing. Because he just liked doing this stuff. Do you know Mitch wrote a book called The Drifter's Handbook? No. <laughs> God, no. Okay, before I met him. So so Mitch comes down to a few things. Um, comedian, traveler, um, Creative. Okay, so Mitch only had two jobs in life. He was a cook. Yeah. And then he was a comedian. Right. And he said when he got to be a cook, he chopped the vegetables he liked, and he was like, I want to be a chef. So then he started frying things. Yeah. That was it. So then he got into that. And so when he he left home when he was 18, he just basically packed a bag and left during the day. And him and his friends went to California and yep. he had a girlfriend in San Diego. And then they went to Tempe and he ended up in Florida. Yeah, group, grew up in, group Minnesota. in Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. So he was traveling and he was like, a cook was a great job because you go into a town, you get a cook that job that day. Yeah. And then they moved to Florida, him and his friend Tio that he knew from Minnesota. And he... Um, Got there, and he's like, you know, go to Florida because you can sleep on the beach. You can meet girls. Oh, my God. It was a dream. You know what I mean? He had long hair. Girls liked it. Loving it. And so him and his friend Tio figured out all these tricks to do if you're a traveler. So he wrote the thing called the Traveler's Handbook. And it was all these, like, cheats on go into a motel at 1030. If you see a room open and they've checked out, pretend you're going back into shower. Oh, my gosh. Go to a bar at happy hour and get happier food. And he published it in the back of Rolling Stone magazine. <laughs> oh, my God. So he, that was a golden time for him, you know. He said, but I don't know if you remember back then, you could see, or if they have them now, like in Florida, you'd see condos. And there'd be this big um, sign coming out, $99 move-in special. Yeah. So him and his friends would get that. They'd both get jobs as cooks. Then they'd hang out with the, like, girls, Sex, music, you know, innocence. Like, he was always had that vibe. And that's where he started doing comedy. Yeah. In Florida, yeah. I can't believe the Drifter's Handbook, yeah. But the fact that he, like, called—he was—when I very first met Mitch and fell in love with him, I was like, is this guy—I knew he was a genius in this magical thing. And then when we met— and I, we both met at L.A., and then we went to the um, national car rental. Yeah. He had all his car rental stuff. He knew the codes. I'm yeah. like, there's, like, there's a duality for him. Well, that- he knew all flights. The fact that he would write, make his own ads and, I mean, 
I looked but through his notebooks. He was continuously documenting his own career. He made little documentaries about himself. Not yeah. only that, here's two misconceptions, and I'll unpack them. Oh, yeah. I'll try okay. to remember both of them. One is, misconception is, like, he's a stoner. He's not ambitious. He just sort right. of happened to wander in and say all these genius things. Like, he had things. to smoke weed to think that, yeah. Meanwhile, it couldn't be farther from the truth. Like, literally— he told me that, like, when he was starting out, he would cold call comedy clubs around the country. And yeah. he would just say, like, I was on The Tonight Show. I was this. And it was, like, not even true. His, well, that's – back then, the hard, one of the hardest things is because you don't get a manager or agent right yeah. away. The hardest thing is getting through to clubs. And clubs had managers with a million things. He also had – here's another thing that helped him tremendously in the beginning. He met a girl in, named Jana in Florida, and they moved in. And she was, um, like, lovely, creative, and beautiful, but she was more organized. So they, she would do, like, I'm Mitch's agent. I'm calling from yes. So together. So she helped – you know, he had that a bit of that um, security with her. Uh, Mitch also, it's also, um, he wrote Postcards Home over the years. Wow. So he'd be in Minnesota. I don't know if you've seen them on my Instagram or my oh, Twitter. Oh, yeah, yeah. You'll see them. There are all these things going home. So you can kind of plot where he was wow. and what he was doing. Yeah. He documented everything. So that was one thing. Yeah, that was one thing about that I think is a misconception. The other thing that he pointed out yeah. to me once is people always would compare him to Stephen Wright and they would view him as a one-liner comedian, but he thought of himself more in the vein of, like, Steve Martin. Like, he was always like, he, that's that's who I looked up to growing up was Steve Martin, so I don't understand when people say, you're like Stephen Wright. He understood why people said that because of how people perceive things. Like, it's very, he, and also, you can attest to this. Think of all his um, Letterman's and his special. It's very joke, joke, yes. joke, and yep. there's no interaction. Whereas yeah. you knew him in real life, he was much more interactive and goofy and yeah. ridiculous on stage. Whereas people see that joke, 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 and a lot of people call him a one-liner comedian. Yeah. And that's not true. About a year after I met him, I started to notice his writing patterns, how how it would come and what spurts. He would basically write in spurts of four and a half, five minutes, which is why he got Letterman so much. Wow. He got Letterman because he always had those jokes ready. Yeah. So he would write in four and a half, four, like he like it would all just sort of come out. And at the end, he was writing on stage, whereas before he wasn't. So in a four and a half minutes, you might have a Dufresne, which is 14 lines. Yeah. But the reason people think it's one liner is because you can take one line out of that and it seems like a punchline. But as far as Stephen Wright, a lot of people compared him, and Stephen Wright's a genius, you know. Yeah, sure. He's incredible. But I remember Mitch saying, you know, um, it's like, I don't know if his analogy was really good, <laughs> but something <laughs> like um, um, potato chips inside of Pringles is still a potato chip. I don't know what that meant, but something. But yeah, he really, Mitch really, really didn't like being influenced. That was his thing. Oh, interesting. But in the beginning, what he got in, he remembers he saw, like it would be like he saw Colin Quinn once and Colin destroy. Mm -hmm. And Mitch was like, I want to destroy. Mm. And then he'd see someone else who was comfortable on stage, that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't necessarily emulating anyone. It was, oh, but he knew that he wanted even though he might have had shorter jokes, he wanted to be able to build and destroy, which is hard with joke pause, joke pause, right. jokes. So that sort of thing. It was like, if I, if you think of it as a wave and energy. Yeah. Like, um, um, as he got more well-known, coming to the stage would be huge laughters, and then you have to follow that laughter. Well, he, so you he have clearly to be able was a, to make movement. He was clearly obsessed with the the rhythm of a comedy that's, hour. I think why, yeah, maybe that's why it came out. Yeah, he knew them. He said once, um, we were watching Jamie Foxx, and Jamie Foxx, I, I love, came out on stage and was like slowly dancing to the to the microphone, like taking yeah. minutes like a boxer, and the audience is going nuts. Yeah. And then you've got to follow that. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. How do you take that energy and bring, like if you think of it as energy, how do you take that energy to come in you and make it ride, you know? Well, yeah, that, that's like a, a famous line that people say is like you can't follow the costume kind of thing. Which is like oh you, really? I've never heard. Yeah, oh, that's like, interesting. Like the idea of like if you walk on stage in a theater in a wetsuit and you're dripping wet and people are like, yeah. oh, that's funny, wetsuit. And then it's like, then what? Then how do you take that? Yeah, 
Yeah. How, how do you how do you build? And even like Mitch has that great joke about pancaking, uh, yes. where where he talks about like how he's like, I don't want my set to be like pancakes where the first few are, are exciting and then you're like, it all feels like the same, you know, or something like that. Comedy is like a lot like eating pancakes. Um, exciting at first, but then you don't want to be sick of them. Fuck, he's pancaking. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make that a new thing. He's pancaking. I, re- I mean, you have much more structured shows now, but do you remember doing comedy and getting off the stage is like, oh, I remember Mitch going, oh, no, I should have golfed three minutes ago. So he'd slowly, <laughs> he'd move the microphone stand towards the thing because he's lurking for a certain peep. I keep closing my eyes just to, do you know what I mean? Yeah, by yeah. Energy now? Like, yeah. You know this. It's It becomes a comedian's thing, but I structured, like, do you ever remember being like, oh, no, the closer didn't work? I, yeah. No, of course. I used to just be like, okay, bye. And sneak off. That's no, I, and I mean sometimes I'll be on stage like when I do shorter sets, like at the comedy cellar, and I'll and I'll say to the audience like, "So I thought that the last joke was gonna be a crescendo, and yeah. that um, we <laughs> would, and then uh, I would say thank you, <laughs> and then I would leave, and now I'm yeah. sort of stuck with you, and you're stuck with me. And I usually find that the honesty with the audience yes. a- a- allows for. The laughter and sometimes even applause because they're like, oh, we get our role in this. That's very interesting. But you're right. There's so many different things. That's another thing, too, because I keep bringing it back to Mitch, but um, why people connected with him. Mitch used to be like, I don't, he goes, I basically build a wall. I close my eyes. I look down. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't talk really personally but people really connected. I'm like, how did he pull that shit off? You know what I mean? And I think it was that element of what you're just saying. Some authenticity and honesty really gets gets it around, yeah. But I th- also think Mitch's jokes were, and this is what I don't think he gets credit for, I think his jokes were, A, um, stories unto themselves. They were just sort of haiku yeah. stories, and I think that they were personal. So, like, in other words, Jen and I will often quote... <laughs> I wrote a letter to my dad, I was going to write, I really enjoy being here, but I accidentally wrote rarely instead of really. <laughs> well, I wanted to use it, I didn't want to cross it out, so I, I wrote, I rarely drive steamboats, Dad. <laughs> There's a lot of shit you don't know about me. <laughs> Quit trying to act like I'm a steamboat operator. And to me, and Jen, like, that's a joke about being misunderstood. And about the, yes. uh, the feeling yeah. of like, of, of like, you know, even though he's not telling a story or saying, I've felt this way in the past, yeah, you know, know you from mean. the yeah. joke that he's felt that feeling before of like, try, try stop to trying to yeah. act like I'm a thing that I'm not, whatever that is. And so sometimes Jen yeah. and I will have this thing where I don't understand what, where she's coming from or she doesn't understand where I'm coming from and we'll go, quit trying to act like I'm a steamboat operator. I love that. You're right. And, and... One thing about um, Stephen Wright and Mitch is, I mean, Stephen Wright's a completely, he's creative in his bones, you know? Yeah. And, but Mitch's things were always based in some reality. <laughs> yes. Like, um, there, like, that letter did happen. I have the letter where he actually rewrote. No shit, re- really? Yeah, he didn't write, I don't know if he wrote some but that happened. Yeah. I remember we were in place to it. It all comes from a nugget of some reality. But, um, but, Another thing, yeah, that's really great that you brought that one up. One thing I noticed in Mitch's jokes is the how he got rid of all the fat, but also could be he would he would he would do it be like, come on, Mitch. He'd even have his own way in it and then be back <laughs> out. And the way that it kind of like got communicated, but you're right. Good trying to act like she won't operate. And, yeah. You know it's another one? You know it's another like starts from a place of reality and goes into a place of silly is like I bought a donut and they gave me a receipt for the donut. I don't need a receipt. For the donut, man. I'll just give you the money, then you give me the donut and the transaction. We don't need to bring ink and paper into this. I just can't imagine a scenario where I'd have to prove that I bought a donut. And it's beautiful because it's like you know it happened, right? It's like you know you can picture it, it's visual, you can picture this goofy, like rock star looking sunglass dude like buying a donut <laughs> yeah. and having this funny thought yes, that he doesn't yeah. say, but you can just imagine like that's the subtext. Like I feel like so much of like yes. Mitch's humor was like, what's the subtext of living in this bizarre world and yes. like breaking it apart? Yes, he was always like, 
um, Silly was huge. Silly's huge. And then I was reading his notebook and we talked about that. For To be funny, you have to have some cynicism. You can't be completely earnest and oblivious. There has to be some of that. But Mitch was like, I want to have enough cynicism but positivity at the same time. Um, so that's how it kind of worked out. Like, there's a little bit like, this is ridiculous. But also there's some positivity to it. Yeah, yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And also, like, yeah. there's all this lore and it's like... Lynn, don't be negative. <laughs> I'm like, all right, all right. Okay. It's all this lore of like, you know, because his fans like loved him and like you, like you, you, like I remember hearing one time like some fans drove like, you know, seven hours to his show and then he was like, oh, I feel bad. Like, and then I'm going to buy you a hotel room. Like he would like yeah. put up fans sometimes. I know he didn't. That's what a lot of another reason why he didn't um, like looking at the audience. Cause it's like, it's, he had too much feeling, you know, it's like, wow. Like, are they okay? But what, remember in the are beginning okay? we talked about, we were the show. Yeah. Oh he's God. like, oh, and like he becomes so individual. He didn't like looking at the audience cause it's too much. He'd meet people after the show, but it was like, it was too much for him. It's emotional. But um, when you remember in the beginning when you're like, you, me, and Mitch were the show, I remember we'd be driving to shows and there'd be lines, he's like, we're the show. This is the show. It's embarrassing. <laughs> it's embarrassing. It's like, embarrassing. People got babysitters. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's embarrassing. This is the show. It's embarrassing. I know. Like, we're, like literally we're, one of the greatest comedians of all time. <laughs> Saying yeah. this is the show. This he's is embarrassing. Like, oh no! Is he be like we're this is we're so cheap. This is cheap, man. Before yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But people would I meet him, and it. then they'd be like, I drove, and he'd be like, couldn't handle it, so he'd give them gas money, get them hotels, and oh it, my gosh. you don't understand. I can't phone, take it. And he couldn't lie to the audience. They'd be like, Mitch, do you want to go out after? And we're like, um, we're thirty something. And they're like, Mitch, come out, smoke pot. And I'd be like, just blame it on me. Just be like, your wife's a bitch. You know, got to go home. He's like, I would God. never do that. We will not sell each other out. So he'd be like, yeah, I'll oh. come out. And then, but he just wanted to get away because face to face. And then our hotel room would ring all night because he'd give the right hotel and stuff. Oh my God. Literally, like, like I remember like a, oh, like a, a sort of a week, maybe two weeks before he passed, we did Caroline's. He did Caroline's. That's right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I was supposed to open, but then I couldn't because I was doing like a construction, like union convention in like Queens. <laughs> it was like a corporate gig that I totally bombed at How so hard. How handle stuff like oh, that? Oh, it was terrible. And they hated me so much. I bombed so hard. And then I rushed How over just you, to How watch. How do you handle I can't. I, that's why I haven't been able to get one. It's too much for me. No, it was awful. Like, do you just have to go, okay, that happened, move on? Yeah, it's, yeah, you compartmentalize, I think. But like, so then I came to Caroline's to meet up with you guys to hang out and watch. And then I told you the story of me bombing at the, at the, at the Carpenters Union. And Mitch was like, we got to get you on stage. Like, and he just threw me up right before him. And like, I did five minutes and it like went well. And then he walked on stage and he goes like, he's like, Birbiglia is not a show business name. You never see Armageddon starring Birbiglia. <laughs> I remember at one of the memorial services, uh, I was out with Dave Attell smoking cigarettes at Caroline's. And, and Dave goes to, to Mitch's mom, Mary, who's now passed, but he goes, uh, we'll always have the records. Oh. And it was so beautiful. And it was like, you he's know, Dave, we're all scared Dave of, we're all so scared of beautiful. Dave. He's a genius. Dave is terrifying, but he's one of the most beautiful people. Yeah. Earth. He really is. We went back to when we were on the tour with Louis Black and David Tell. Um, we'd all be in the van and then Mitch and I would get to our room and he's like, Lynn, you made Dave laugh twice. Oh my God. <laughs> And he goes, oh, and then Mitch goes, did you notice he laughed when we did that? Like, we loved Dave. No, yeah. Dave is a genius in every comedian. Dave is genius every comedian and just like one that. of the sweetest hearts. Yeah. And another, when we were on tour, Louis Black, he liked the ladies. Um, <laughs> so Mitch, through the entire tour, created this false stalker. And Mitch would go in, into Louis Black's room and write, I love you oh in gosh. pineapple. Oh my gosh. Or like I can't Kiwi, take it. and then later be like, um, Lewis, I saw a girl come out of there. It was funny. Oh yeah. my gosh. Silliness. Yeah. Yeah. Which by the way, we, you and I went bowling in Dayton yes. when we first met. And then yeah. 
And then Mick well, literally, because okay, he was at this he, club, yeah. and Mike Birbiglia comes up to him and be like, hey, do you guys want a bowl? Yeah. And we're like, yeah, okay. And then Mike came and he had his own shoes. Now, yep. what would that indicate to someone? That someone knows what they're doing. Yeah. But. <laughs> I, I wasn't good at bowling. And then he made fun of me. He goes, yeah. I thought when you invited us to go bowling that you would be good at bowling. And he's like making fun of me. And then we're, 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 get, we're at the checkout. Oh. And there are these like women there. And then he literally he was always walks, trying to get you going. <sighs> he walks over to the women and he goes like, you think he's cute? To me. Like pointing yeah. to me. Go, to yeah. strangers. To strangers. Know, if, do you think he's cute? You think he's good looking? And maybe just like, that's his way of trying to flirt through you. I know. What a shithead. <laughs> the, um, so part of the reason why I, I dropped you a note about talking about this on the podcast is like I listen to like satellite radio, the comedy channel sometimes. And like I was driving in the car last summer. And a Mitch track. You drive quite a bit, don't you? <laughs> I do, yeah. I'm a road comic. Quite, I'm a road comic. <laughs> but like, but I was driving and I heard a Mitch track. And it was one of these moments where you hear a bunch of comedy tracks. And it's like anything, music, songs, whatever it is. And then a Mitch track came on. So a bunch of like right. other comedians and then a Mitch track came on. And I had this really visceral emotional thing and of course of course I've you know I've you know I've been upset so upset over the years you know of course when Mitch passed and and I I, I, I feel like I think about him every week like uh, he's, he's someone who I think about all the time but I, mm -hmm. I had just I heard him I loved you I heard him for the first like first time in a long time as like a comedian I still have a hard time listening to him to yeah totally no and really I think hard. I think I I think I had avoided it a little oh, bit oh so it got too. into the, yeah so yeah. I was hearing it on shuffle, basically, because it's like yes. serious and it, XM. Yeah, it pops up. Yeah. And I heard him just as a comedian. And yeah. I was just like, this guy is better than anyone. Wow. Like it's not even close. Like I it it was like watching like teenagers do like math and science, and then and then all of a sudden you see like a quantum physicist walk in the room and explain like a theorem or something, and you're yeah. just like no fucking way. Like, this is so, like, literally so much better than the comedy we consume. I, you know what? I can't control people. I can't listen to it, but I have every single joke word for word in my brain. Wow. Because I saw him do thousands of shows, like, thousands of shows. But, yeah, there's something, like, how he figured out to where to lay the premise. Yeah. Where, and then come it from here and then come it from here and then come around back in... 40 words. Well, it's funny because, like— It's interesting like, when you brought up storytelling because you're right, yeah. But I think, like, yeah. in that way, it's, you know, and Jen, of course, is a poet, and I love poetry, but, like, like it really was like poetry in a lot in a lot of ways. In yeah, the, the econ yeah. The economy of words, painting a picture and telling a story. Yeah. And it's like—but but I think, like, and you and I have talked about this a lot over the years, is, like, Mitch was—and and a lot of the listeners of this show are creatives, and it's like— a lot of it, it's daydreaming. He was a big daydreamer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've tweeted it in his thing. He said, the secret to creativity is daydreaming. Mm -hmm. He, when he started doing comedy, um, once he started, he knew he wanted to do it because he knew two things. He goes, I wanted a job where I didn't have to tuck in my shirt. <laughs> and I could travel. And all of these things were conducive. So... When the travel, and, and it became insane, and we sh should have got off the road, and we weren't healthy, he still had the, like, when even when we when I was like, we can't do it anymore, he was like, do you know how lucky we are? Aww. Look what we get to do. And, like, even when it was like, we were, to done, I can't, that's a whole other thing, but he was like, and, and he'd always remind us, I'm like, you're right. Yeah. Like, he's like, we get to hang out with each other all the time, and um, we just bought a house with our Creativity, right. like that sort of thing. He got it. But really what he loved was daydreaming. And my obsession is thinking, but I don't know how to get out of my head. So he just, like, letting your um, thoughts go to, you know, before you, when you fall in bed and you start thinking about something, and then it goes to another thing and it branches yeah. off. And then if you stop, you don't know what you're thinking yeah. about. Yeah, He would let those branches, but somehow he'd be able to get 
a word out to catch it somewhere. Yeah. That's a problem I have. I don't know when ideas are ideas. Or <laughs> yes. I don't. Like, of I've course. people up, I'm like, is this, I don't know when ideas are ideas. Like, I don't. It's, it's just continually going on in my head because I can only see really two hours into the future. Like, I don't know about a week into the future. So I don't know how to trap things. It's a continuous but thing. I think that, but I think that for your type of thinking, and because I think I, I have a similar thing. It's it's hard. No, it's just yeah. super hard. I think that I think the key is like literally one hour timed writing once a day, yes. 30 minutes yeah. timed writing once a yeah. day, 20 minutes, whatever it is, write it yeah. down and trust that it's actually encapsulating what you were thinking about all those other parts of the day. Oh, for just so that you sense. get some of it. Just some yeah. of it. Because I know what you mean. It's like your brain goes a million places it's a and you're never like, where'd it go? Thing. When I wake up every day. My brain di- um, downloads everything <laughs> since humans evolved. So I'll be like, like, and I'm not talking about it. It'll go through every chair that's ever existed, every window, why windows were manufactured, the people who made them, yeah. every door on earth, yeah. humans, hair. And it's, when you were a kid, I don't know if you did, when we went to camp when I was a kid, we used to play this game in the suitcase I packed. And someone would start, go, I went on vacation, and in my suitcase, I packed a hat. And then the next person would be like, I went on vacation, a hat, and some glasses. That's my brain, never-ending, adding. So I know the ba- all my, like, um, the Holocaust, billboards, lipstick, s- mushrooms, all of that. And then, so I, in the morning I go, and then I add more. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, that's so hard. And that's why I can't do anything. <laughs> Working It Out is sponsored in part by Cuts. Cuts Clothing. They've perfected the art and science of men's shirts so you can throw one on and look great and not think about it. That's my favorite way to deal with clothing. <laughs> it really is. This is, uh, this is a company that is made for me. They have uh, they've revolutionized the traditional outdated T-shirt category. They make it easy to mix and match styles and colors so you can find the perfect style. They even developed their own fabric that would stand the test of time. It's very, very soft. I really love these clothes. I'm, I'm thrilled they're a sponsor because I love these clothes. Join hundreds of thousands of guys who have made the simple decision to elevate their wardrobe with cuts. Get 15% off your first order by going to cutsclothing.com slash perbigs. That's C-U-T-S clothing.com slash perbigs. I can't believe they assume we know how to spell the word clothing, but not cuts. Come on. Working It Out is sponsored in part by Magic Spoon. Yes, it's been a while for me and Magic Spoon as a sponsor, but they're back and we're thrilled because you know what that means. It means the whole staff of Working It Out gets to eat Magic Spoon, which is like, tastes like it's unhealthy cereal, sugar cereal. But guess what? It's the bait and switch. There's no sugar in it. Wait, Mike, there's no sugar? Yeah, there's no sugar. But there's got to be some sugar. No, there's zero grams of sugar. But they got zero sugar. 13 to 14 grams of protein, only four net grams of carbs in each serving. Uh, Only 140 calories in each serving. You can build your own box. That's what I do. Available flavors in the custom box are cocoa, fruity, frosted. That's my favorite. Peanut butter, uh, blueberry, cinnamon, cookies and cream, and maple waffle. Nice. Go to magicspoon.com slash burbigs to grab a custom bundle. And be sure to use our promo code burbigs at checkout to save $5 on your order. Get your delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash burbigs and use code burbigs to save $5 off. So you lost Mitch, gosh, 15, 17 years ago. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it's like, yeah. do you feel like there's a, there's a lesson from it where you, where it helps you carry on from it? Like that, I don't know. I feel like, like, I, like, what do you know? What do you know that you didn't know? Um, the only person I could really talk to about it would be him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you fucking died. Do you understand? Yeah. And it's just a constant thing of fighting the brain because of the, pro- the mistakes you made. Like, I would have, um, 
I think, you know, around the end, I, we were each other's team, you know, like, to the, I I don't really get him. I realize now how much he saw it that way, us too. Yeah. And then the world, he wanted me to excel at comedy and then we'd be this thing. And like, that's all we ever need to know each other. And I think, um, I think I was, I was obviously burnt out and I think I was showing him some like, disdain a little bit like like that sort of thing I think that I I would have communicated better um I when we got married I said here's the one thing about me I don't tell people what to do I'm scared of marriage too don't turn me into I'm not a mother I'm not these sort of things yeah but um I don't do that like I'm like this weird living, I don't know, I have this weird thing. I don't know, I don't know what, yeah. um, lesson would be like, um, you don't realize how young, when you think, even Mitch and I were like, oh God, I guess it's a, we're over the hill now. Like, you know, you don't really, <laughs> like that sort of thing. Right, right. Um, I'm going to watch The Bachelor. Oh my God, like, that's hilarious. One of the most brilliant people. <laughs> that's so like, funny. Like, I feel bad about it, but I guess it was a thing. You know <laughs> oh what I mean? God. I don't know, like... I, I'm also like, oh, did he have enough sex? I hope so. Like, Aww. I hope he flirted enough. I hope he, like, like got enough. I don't know. I, I'm not very good at articulating. I'm not right. sure what you mean by lesson. Like, right, like you think about, you think about, like, when someone passes, and it's like, what could I have done in their time here to help them live their like fullest life <sighs> while they were That's here? That's, like, one of the biggest pains of all time, like... Yeah, like, I hope, I mean, did he know I loved him? Did he, I mean, Mitch knew who he was. I don't know anymore. But you remember how Stanhope, when he passed, said, like, Doug Stanhope said this thing that I thought was so profound, which is, like, Mm -hmm. like, it's not a tragedy. Like, Mitch lived like a motherfucker. Like, he lived more in this span of 37 years than, like, right. people, people who lived 100 years. And now you see how young years. 37 is. Oh, so. my God, forget about that. And he just had turned 37. It's absurd. It's, it's absurd. I can't even take it. Yeah. But, no, one thing that really hurt me for many times is people be like, what a waste about Mitch. And I'm right. like, what a waste? You get to have him. Or, yeah. like— or like we lost when people are like we lost something. No, you didn't. Yeah. Look what you got. Look from what you got. This person. Yeah. That's yeah. how I feel about like, like like Robin Williams. I feel that way about where you just go like he was. Oh, when in, people are like it's it's is, no. It's, 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 are you it's, it's like it's a tragedy. It's like yeah, but also look what he gave us. He gave us all he, this amazing and look what he stuff. Gave he gave us so much joy. Did. Like trust me. Yes, 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 yes. But like yeah, yeah. But like. Yeah, so there was there was that. It's yeah. a, it's just hard. I just I just remember when Mitch dying, going, oh, I'm gonna get a lobotomy. That's it. Like oh, wow. when people are like, you're gonna be all right. He loves you. I'm like, I'm gonna need a lobotomy, and I would have had one where I could have removed the piece oh, of my brain my that God. knew about Mitch. It was like, that's what I'm gonna need. I'm not. It's not gonna. This isn't gonna work. I'm not going to be able to deal with it. And then your brain, you do things and your brain, re- I think your brain releases things that make you be able to cope. But I I was like, literally, where's the yield lobotomy shot? Like, I was like, I'm going to, I would have done one at that point just to cut out ever remembering, yeah. But it's interesting because it's like, you're sort of like, you've self-tasked, and I think really well, with like, carrying on Mitch's legacy. And it's like, I must be so hard to do that. It's, I'm the worst at it. You're not the worst at it. You're great at it. I've only put out a few things. I've tried to do a million things. I never, I don't keep control of any of Mitch's stuff. Mitch is still only relevant because of organically people telling him. Like, my friend's like, you're running kind of a mini Coca-Cola, but you don't know how to do it. Like, I, I don't know how to, <laughs> like, Coca-Cola. I don't get everything. Yeah, like, <laughs> There's no Mitch Inc. There's no yeah, yeah. machine behind it except yeah. his jokes. But I am working. I've been digitizing stuff, and I am working on stuff. Um, I have to go soon, but okay. I don't know how to wrap. Oh, one last thing. Yeah, yeah, of course. G- Mitch didn't have stage fright. That's so. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a very big myth. I've seen people write essays about it. And yeah. Da, 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 da. Did you see him as stage fright? No. He was he was no. extremely self-aware, but no, he didn't have stage fright. That's a he said in the beginning when he was doing open mics if someone had had if the building had burned before he got on he'd be like, "Yes." But 
after a while, you didn't have stage fright. You don't but, do that. Yeah. But you know but what's yeah. funny? He, you know what was funny at the time? And he this rolled off of him. He was like so laid back about it. There were so many Mitch-esque comedians yeah. who followed yeah. him. Myself included, yeah. by the way. Like- if you, I for my first album, for my first album, like there's some Mitch Hedbergy sounding things. Like yeah, Dimitri, goes, Dimitri yeah. Martin has some Mitch Hedbergy sounding things. Aziz Ansari has some Mitch Hedbergy yes, sounding Aziz things. Aziz his first, yeah, yeah. And it's like, and I remember talking to Mitch about it, and and him just being like, I watched. He's like, I watched your friend, uh, whoever it was. He's like, it's not that similar. You know what I mean? Like he was so laid back yes. about yes. things that yeah. were like. I think he had that one confident thing that um, people can't really steal jokes from him. Interesting. You know? Interesting. He kind of made his jokes on sort of stealable. Yeah. People may have, but everyone would have known. Yeah. yeah. No, that's true. I remember he said about Dimitri, oh man, they're going to like a, 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 a freshly scrub, a more freshly scrubbed version of me <laughs> about Dimitri. <laughs> oh my gosh. And of course, Dimitri's jokes are great too. But like, oh, I, Dimitri, of course, I know what yeah. he means. I know it. Yeah, yeah, I know what he means. Like, oh man, that's absurd that he would have <laughs> yeah. thought that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> well, the only other time, one time, um, Zach Galifianakis, Zach Galifianakis got a um, that BH1 show. Yes, and Mitch and I, the late, Mitch and it was, I were it was called com- the, it was called Late World with Zach. Yeah, it was like a late show. Exactly, and so they were kind of the same coming up. And Mitch, uh, Mitch knew who who's funny. You know what I mean. And yeah. I remember we were we, Mitch and I were always on the road. And I remember we were driving, and there was a billboard, and it was for Zach's show. And he's like, "Oh, Galvin has got a billboard, <laughs> like that sort of." <laughs> and then he never ever one time. Another thing is he never like he wasn't jealous. We were around each other. He goes, uh, "Do you like Zach because he can grow a beard?" Oh my gosh! Because <laughs> he couldn't grow a beard. Oh my gosh! I know. That is so funny. The, I know. Um, so, what I, I'm just curious, like, what do you like? What are your? Do you want to talk about like what your goals are right now in terms of like? I know you're working on like a. Film. I don't want to curse it all because you want to give you don't want to give it away. Yeah. You don't so give it away. I, okay, so in 2000, my dad died. 2000. I put out the box set in 2016. My dad died. Yeah. After having years of. Um, Alzheimer's and dementia. Oh, I was gosh. flying up to Vancouver every four to eight weeks. It was a fu- it was crazy, which is, it was one of the most interesting crazy things. But anyway, so my dad died, and then I started slowly um, archiving. Like I had 150 VHS tapes, yeah, and I got them digitized with this production company called Arts and Sciences. Um, that John Doerr, my boyfriend at the time, introduced me to. So we were archiving and figuring things out. I had, I had, I have had 16 millimeter film in a in a store film storage place for years. You yeah. Know? So digitizing, and then um, so that slowly was dribbling on, like 17, 18, and then in early January 2019, I was leaving work and I fell over an open truck's rear gate. Oh my and gosh! I smashed my all my teeth out. <clears throat> off our oh my teeth gosh! <laughs> And so that kind of threw a thing in the loop. And then the pandemic. And But I have lots of things that are um, digitized. But now I'm also talking to um, Animal Films, which is um, this woman named Danielle Renfrew, Natasha Leone, and um, Maya Rudolph. And we're work, we're and with and with Arts and Sciences, so we're now putting together a team. Oh, that's fantastic. Because now that things are digitized and the notebooks are endless, Mike, yeah. I'll make sure I get you something. Oh, I'll, I'll make sure I get you a piece. And... Um, in the meantime, um, I'd like to do a book and help kids. Help kids, okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and the final thing is uh, working it out for a cause, which is if you know of a nonprofit that you think uh, is doing a great job right now, and I'll, I'll contribute to them and link to them in the show notes. Well, it's called Widow Hedberg. Let's see. Oh, my God. That's a joke. <laughs> or I just want to make sure. It's called The, da- the Bail Project. Okay. And it is, um, if, if people go and check this out, it's really interesting. It's, um, it's donations, makeup, um, bail money, so people in prison who are in prison and innocent and they could get bail can't can get out you know what i mean yeah, and yeah. live their lives and be with their families and then 
you know, then when they go back to court, the money goes back. So it's like this, it's a, it's like, it's, a, it's amazing. That's great. And yeah. Well, I'm going to contribute yeah. to them. I'm going to link to them in the show notes. But Lynn, I think you're wonderful. I think you're one of the funniest people I've ever encountered in my life. And I, <laughs> and I feel like Mitch was one of the funniest people I've encountered in my he life. I feel you. so he lucky. He loved you. I like he loved you. He's like, uh, yeah, uh, like he knew you. He knew he knew you had that. He knew you were obsessed. He knew everything was like drinking it in. It and he that time, like, yeah, it was affecting you. That was your obsession. Remember, like the anxiety and wanting to do it and doing it all. That was the that's the obsession. You well, know, the obsession continues because it. I, you know, let me know whenever you're releasing stuff. Uh, I'll I try will to amplify sure. and uh, and 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 I just want the whole world, the the especially the younger generation, to yes, like really yeah. dig into Mitch's stuff because it's like there's so much. Yeah. All right. Alrighty. I Thanks love for I talking. love you. I love you. I love, I love you, so you so Mitch. Much. Please and, give my love to Jen. Yes, I will. I miss her so much. Yeah. I will. All right. Thanks I hope for to doing see this. You soon. Thanks for doing this. And and listen, if you have to scrap this, don't worry. I'm not scrapping anything. No way. Working it out, cause it's not done. Working it out, cause there's no that's going to do it for another episode of Working It Out. How about Lynn Shawcroft? She is, uh, I, I just enjoy talking to her so much. And she's so, so funny, so quick, and, uh, and wise in so many ways. You can follow her on Twitter at, at Shawcroft, or you could follow her on Instagram at Lynn Shawcroft. Yes. Um, there's tons of stuff about Mitch. You can try to pick up his uh, vinyl box set, which I have and is amazing. If you haven't listened to Mitch Hedberg albums, do so. If you haven't listened to Mitch Hedberg albums in a while, do so again. They're so good. Like, this is from someone who's a super fan, and I'm re-listening to them and getting even more out of them. Um, our producers of Working It Out are myself, along with Peter Salamone and Joseph Berbiglia. Consulting producer Seth Barish. Sound mix by Kate Belinsky. Associate producer Mabel Lewis. Thanks to my consigliere Mike Berkowitz, as well as Marissa Hurwitz and Josh Upfall. Special thanks to Jack Antonoff and Bleachers for their music. They are on tour everywhere right now. As always, a very special thanks to my wife, the poet, J-Hope Stein. Our book is called The New One. It is a semifinalist for the Thurber Prize for American Humor in Columbus, Ohio, which is a place that I love to visit. And it's at your local bookstore. As always, a special thanks to my daughter, Una, who created a radio fort made of pillows. Thanks most of all to you who have listened. Tell your friends. Maybe even tell. Tell your darn enemies. And by the way, we got a t-shirt coming soon, so look out for that. Sign up for the mailing list. In the meantime, we'll be right here. We'll be working it out. <laughs>